You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Chris Kleiman did one of the hardest things in sports following the 2018 college football season. He took a head coaching position that was vacated by a legend. Bill Snyder built the Kansas State football program from the worst in college football history to a perennial top 25 program that competed for conference and even national championships. Following his first retirement, the program took a significant drop quickly, so Snyder came back for another 10-year run before finally calling it quits for good. Kleiman was hired from North Dakota State, where he led the Bison to four FCS national championships in his five years as a head coach. He had a phenomenal 69-6 and record in those five seasons. With K-State, he's 20-16 and with two bowl appearances in three seasons, with the off year being that weird 2020 COVID season. He has the Wildcats on the upswing once again because of his relentless drive and upbeat personality. Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, first question is an obvious one. Did you have any trepidation about taking over for Coach Snyder, for a legend in general? Why or why not? Well, I did not. A um, couple reasons. One, uh, I'm well aware of Coach Snyder and what he did. I grew up in the state of Iowa. Uh, going to Hayden Fry football camps when Bill was uh, quarterbacks coach there, and uh, I also knew he it is without doubt, without a doubt the greatest turnaround in college football history what he did at Kansas State, and uh, been down here in 2013 uh, when I was at North Dakota State we played down here I was a defensive coordinator and we were fortunate enough to win that game against a good K State team, but I just saw the energy of the place I saw. Uh, how important football was to to K-Staters and the community in the state. And so uh, I thought it was a great opportunity to follow uh, a legend. And, uh, you know, I I followed a guy at North Dakota State and Craig Bull that won three straight national championships. So I I know that no job you take is going to be easy, whether you followed Coach Bull, who was a legend at North Dakota State, winning three in a row to following Coach uh, that has had the greatest turnaround in college football history. Now, some coaches would try to be just like their predecessor, but you definitely put your own stamp on the program. Why did you take that approach rather than just trying to say, hey, it worked for Coach Snyder, it'll work for me? Well, I think you need to be you. Um, And I didn't study Bill to say, here's what exactly he does. Um, But I also uh, was cognizant of the fact of what they did to be successful here uh, with blue collar, hard work, took a lot of walk-ons. Um, developed kids, same thing that we did at North Dakota State during our run there, uh, of great developmental programs. Um, but I, I'm a firm believer in being yourself. And, and like when I hire coaches, um, I want them to be themselves. I don't want a bunch of guys that are just like our OC or a bunch of guys that are just like our DC or a bunch of guys that are just like the head coach. I think that's the unique part of this profession is having a lot of personalities that mesh and gel together. And, and one other thing, I've known Coach Snyder since he was hired in 1989, and he was very much a CEO type of head coach. He hired people that, you know, they were different than he was, uh, but they had the similar mindset. Uh, are you more of an in-the-trenches coach in your approach, or do you see your role as a head coach as a CEO type? I think it's both. I'm probably more in the trenches with um, some meetings uh, help and run, whether it's a defensive meeting or a special teams meeting to take and drill work over uh, with safeties or linebackers or a special teams drill. Uh, but in the same respect, you need to lead from out front. And sometimes that that is the CEO type. But 
I also hire offense and defensive coordinators to be CEOs of their side of the ball and want to make sure that they know that I'm not going to micromanage them, that I hired them to do their job and uh, let them do their job and let them, let them be creative. Let them, let them make some mistakes, let them have some success. And, and you never want to walk around on eggshells as a coach. And that's something that uh, I want to make sure our guys don't do. Yeah. I remember when coach Snyder came back and there was a lot of, a lot of mumbling in the, in the K-State community about maybe the games passed him by. And I wrote a column for, for a local newspaper that, and I said, what were the three things that made coach successful? His willingness to work harder than anybody uh, and brain cramp on the second one. But the last one was he hired quality assistant coaches and let them do their job. And to me, that's so important. And I said, what's different now? He's going to hire coaches that, yeah. that know what they're doing and let them do their job. So you do have to kind of be a CEO, but also know what they're doing and know that what they're doing is what is kind of along your game plan, don't you? Absolutely. And one thing is for sure, the game never passed Coach Schneider by. Yeah, he, he still, still has knows. It. He still knows the game inside and out. Yeah. And yeah. he gets the most out of people and challenges people. Still does it today. Yeah. Um, it's so unique being – uh, around him. I'm not around him a ton. Uh, part of it is because of COVID for the last two years. Right. Um, but in the fact of when I am around him, he just has such an impact on everybody. Um, and I, and I keep learning from him even when he doesn't know I'm learning from him. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's unique to be able to follow him because everything that is done here reverts back to what Bill did, but it's also why we have the facilities we have. Yes, because of what Bill did. Yeah, and I thought of the third thing, and that was that was his adaptability. Most people who don't know him well, and I got to know him pretty well, but most people who don't know him well think he is set in his ways, and that is about as far from the truth as possible. You think about the quarterbacks that he had success with, especially his first time through. He went from a Chad May to a Carl Straw, actually Carl Straw to a Chad May, and then he had a Michael Bishop, and then he had an L. Roberson, and he had in between there, Matt Miller, about as wide a range of talents. And he built his offense around those guys. How adaptable are you, Coach? How how much do you build your game plan around your personnel? You you have to. Um, Now, probably more than you did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, because you're trying to get your roster set every year. And that's unfortunate, but that's the way of college football right now because of the transfer portal, because of um, guys just um, a revolving door a little bit. Uh, People call it free agency with college football, but there is a revolving door of college football. So you, you need to be able to adapt and adjust. We, you know, we had a different game plan a little bit when Skylar Thompson was playing quarterback. We changed our defense this year from a four down to a three down um, we tried to find a way, which was probably a smart thing to get the ball to number 22 and do spawn, <laughs> because if you've got one of those guys, you better utilize him. Talk about adaptability. Coach was going to make sure Colin Klein carried the football and, and Colin Klein would carry the football 25, 30 times a game. Um, yeah. so yeah, nothing's changed from when coach was doing it to when people are doing it. Now you have to, um, adapt to the talent that you have. Speaking of change. If you could go back three seasons and you're sitting in your chair, you haven't had your first spring practice, you haven't had your first game, what would you do differently? You know, I never go back and do that. I, I don't because it, what's make, it, what makes you grow as a coach. 
Yeah. It's what makes you better as a coach. Um, you know, I could say, well, I had to change some drills, or I'd have, I'd have gotten more involved with the offense, or I'd have, I'd have backed away from the defense, or I'd have, I'd have done more things on special teams, or done more things with team building and relationship building, all those things. I've I never been one of those guys to look back and say, I wish I would have done something different, um, because that's that's how you grow as a person. That's how you grow as a coach. That's how you grow as, as a dad, as a husband, is by learning from your mistakes. So the flip side of that is what are you most proud of in your first three seasons at K-State? Um, I think the relationships that we're building. Um, you know, it's easy to say a win over so-and-so or a win. I, I, I think of the, the players that were involved in the win, the players that were involved in a change. Um, all of us had uh, a really difficult 2020 uh, right. with COVID, and, and not just from wins and losses or what happened on the field, but just – I mean, day-to-day life was disrupted uh, so much. And when we came back in January of 2021, after a really tumultuous time in 2020 with not being around your guys hardly at all and playing games uh, with players that hadn't practiced for 14 days and they show up on Friday and just play and they're not in shape and they don't know the game plan. That was – we came back in 2021 of January and said, we get a chance to restart this thing. It's almost like your first year over again. Mm -hmm. Um, and came up with some concrete core values that we were going to stick by. And those are the things I remember uh, is how the, how that group this year in 2021 uh, attacked it. And uh, I can't thank those guys enough. Uh, not only the guys that left, but the guys that are still here that embraced all of us and embraced the um, what happened in 2020 and say, you know what, what a, what a new lease or a fresh lease on life. We've got to get better and, and improve and learn from it. Yeah, I had the privilege, as you know, of covering the Texas Bowl. And I remember seated in the front row of the press conference. And and I'm not going to say you got emotional. That sounds like you were crying. But it was very obvious that that the emotions about this team, this last year's team, were really, really special. It probably goes back to what you were just saying. These kids, they bought in. You look up bought in in the dictionary and you'll see what your kids did this year. Yeah, and I'm probably most proud of that, of what we had to do. And then I look at some of those seniors that were in 2020 that didn't get a chance. You know, mm-hmm. the Brock Monies, the Tyler Burns that didn't get a chance to experience what we did at the end of the 2021 season going to a bowl game because it was just chaotic with bowl games getting canceled and yeah. people not being able to play games. And that's the thing that if there's anything I'm proud of in 2020 was the fact that we played every game that was scheduled to play. Because a kid like Brock Monty and a kid like Tyler Burns had one chance to play as many football games as they could, and they're never going to put a uniform on again. And we could have canceled two or three games that year because maybe we weren't well-equipped or maybe we were down some numbers. Uh, but I kept looking at guys like that that were going to do this one more time. I'm like, why am I taking an opportunity away from those guys? And, and yeah, we had some took some licks and wounds because of it. Um, but uh, I was proud of, of guys like that that were able to keep this thing rolling. Chris, I want to ask you about the transition from North Dakota State to K-State. Some will say that the FCL, FCS level is not the same as the FBS level. But I've, had you, I've heard you say many times something along the lines of winning football is winning football, regardless of the level. What do you mean by that? Well, in general, football is football. Um, and there's different levels. I'm well aware that the big 12 is better than the Missouri Valley uh, and power five is better than um, the FCS, but on any given day, 
anybody can beat anybody. Uh, and I was a, a benefactor of that, being able to win at a lot of Power 5 places when I was in FCS, mm-hmm. as well as just because a young man or a coach doesn't coach at Kansas State or at Oklahoma State or at Clemson or Alabama, and he ends up coaching at North Dakota State or South Dakota or Kansas Wesleyan, where my son is now playing football. Football is football. Yeah. And having an impact on young men is the best, best part of this job I have. I don't care where that's at. I did this at Loris College, a Division three school in Dubuque, Iowa, and I still look at it as one of the best times of my life for four years being at a Division three school and impacting those kids. Just like those kids, when they were playing a game, it didn't matter if they were playing co-college or if it was Kansas State playing Oklahoma, that game meant as much to them. Yeah, And that's, I think, sometimes we all get lost in is there's only one level of football, NFL really, and then there's the Power Five stuff. There's a ton of level of football, tons of levels of football, and everybody's enjoying whatever level they're at and getting the most out of that experience. And and preparing them to win at that level is just as easy, just as motivating, just as difficult, just as everything, regardless of the level you're at. No question. And if you don't prepare at those levels, I don't care who you are, you're going to get beat because you got to have everybody turning in the same direction and everybody doing things the same way and pulling in the right direction or it's not going to work. Yeah. Chris, you've got a, a slogan, win the dang day. It may be the tamest of <laughs> tamest slogan in sports, but it's pretty much to the point. Where did that come from and what does it mean beyond the obvious? Um, you know, it, it came just off the cuff to be honest with you, but it's something that I've been a part of my, my whole life as far as, um, been very fortunate to have parents that, that taught me to do things the right way. Uh, and also taught me to attack each day and you you never know what's going to happen during that day or, or if you're given another day. And so I, I don't care if it's academically, I don't care if it's socially, if it's athletically, if it's spiritually, whatever it may be. Give everything you have today because you don't know what's going to be on the other side. You don't, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and I, I know there's some days where I feel sorry for myself. Maybe we played like crap and, and I feel like I didn't give the best to, to the guys, whatever it is. Well, I can feel sorry for myself or I can, you know, click the button and say, let's go. We got to move forward. And uh, I think that's a, a great lesson in life that not every day is going to be great. And uh, when it's not, you better lean on the people that that uh, you trust, lean on the people that you believe in, lean, lean on, on the people that love you, because a lot of these guys around here don't have great days, and right. coaches and players included. And that's what we're all here for. We're all here to build each other up and help each other when those difficult days happen. And, and, and when I say it's one of the tamest, there's a lot of slogans out there that that are maybe more crude, use foul language, whatever, the, the rough and tumble football coach thing means you have to swear. You're, you mentioned the, this approach spiritually as well. When the dang day basically tells people he doesn't want to swear, and that's based on your faith, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a big believer in, in, uh, in your faith, and, and it's got to be a part of, part of your life, um, and you don't have to shy away from that. It's just yeah. like the word love. We, we use it a lot in this program, and I, I love those players, and I had no problem – uh, in a number of press conferences, telling guys that, you know, hey, I, I love this team or I love this person because of what he's given, um, not only to the program, 
to K-State, to myself, to my family. And uh, I think it's a powerful thing. You know, you, your faith uh, and love's a part of, of everybody's journey. And it's, it's, don't be embarrassed by saying it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about coaching style. And I, I, I hate to keep going back to Coach Snyder, but he's had such an impact, obviously, on your career and on mine. Uh, I've, I've written several books that involve Coach Snyder as well. One of the things that made him so successful is he zigged when the rest of the conference zagged. How have you been able to do that in your three years? Um, you know, I, I, I go back again to what your beliefs are, and it doesn't matter what the, what the mainstream is doing. You have to stay with what your beliefs are, uh, whether that's staying in line or whether that's veering off. Um, but in the same respect, uh, go back to adaptability. You know, I, I've changed some things that I knew were really, really successful at North Dakota State, and we can't do them here. Yeah. We can't just knock everybody off the ball from a football standpoint. You know, there's a lot of things off the field, but from a football standpoint, we just can't knock everybody off the ball. We were better than everybody we played against at North Dakota State in FCS. We're not better than everybody we play against here. So I've got to adjust some things. And so that's a little bit of the zig and the, the zag, but it still comes down to trying to get the most out of every player. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. How, how do you do that? It, it's you treat everybody fairly equally, but not the same. Right. Because how, how, how am I going to get to one kid? Do I have to challenge him more or do I have to reason with a guy more, but how do you get more out of, or the most out of all your all your people in your organization program. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to have to get somebody angry because he's going to react better when he's angry. Another kid, you have to say, Hey, it's okay. You'll do better the next time and build him up. You treat each kid equally, but totally differently. Absolutely. And you know, you, you gotta, it's not just a football program. That's a, that's a business. That's a corporation. That's family. My, my kids, I can handle differently. You know, if, if I yell at my daughter, tears are coming. <laughs> I yell at my, 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 my son, he might say, okay, dad, you're being a pain in the butt, but I probably agree with you where my daughter would be tearing up. So yeah. um, no, you got to treat everybody fairly, but you've you got to understand how to push everybody's buttons to get the most out of them. I want to talk to you about a couple of disadvantages you have at K-State and, and we know, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm just being real here. The big 12 is a very athletic league. How do you compete with the style of that style of play when you're not recruiting the level of athletes that some of the other schools in the conference are getting? Development, uh, outwork people, um, you know, make sure that the guys know what they're supposed to do uh, on the field. Uh, development, meaning what we're doing off the field, uh, in the weight room, uh, in the film room, whatever it may be. Um, you know, the biggest disadvantage is we have Kansas City. That's a little less than two hours away. Got Wichita a little bit less than two hours away. And those are the biggest metropolitan areas we have around us. And so you don't get a chance to go and see you know, hundreds of, of athletes every Friday night real close to you uh, to be able or to bring people over to your campus uh, to say, hey, come on over for a junior day or come on over for a game day visit. We get yeah. a lot of kids that come, but not as many as, as a lot of schools would that are near huge metropolitan areas. But that's the hand we're dealt. Why, why complain about it? Why, why say, boy, that's a huge disadvantage. Then you shouldn't have taken the job. Yeah. If, you, if you thought that was such a disadvantage, why are you going there? Yeah. Um, you you got to embrace those disadvantages and say, you know what? 
there's not a better place than Manhattan, Kansas on a Saturday afternoon for football. And I know there's a lot of great environments. I, I put this up against any because our students are, are as good as there is. Our band is the best band in the country, period. They are the best band in the country. Dr. Trace does a phenomenal job. And then you look at just our fan base uh, throughout the region, throughout the state, throughout our community. They love K-State football. And the answer to this next question, we probably could just play back your previous answer. But <laughs> one of the biggest factors in recruiting these days is the name, in, name, image, and likeness money available for student athletes. You're not going to get that availability for your kids when you're in Manhattan, Kansas, how do you deal with that? How do you recruit against that? Yeah. And I'd say, or maybe you are going to get that money in Manhattan, Kansas, because it's the only thing that's going on in, in, in this area. We're not in a huge metropolitan area where there's a, there's a major league baseball team or an NFL team or uh, some other colleges right around there. Uh, maybe it's a big advantage to us because, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're a, a student athlete, uh, on a successful program and you're in a smaller community, everybody knows who those people are. I promise you when Deuce Vaughn walks around anywhere on in Aggieville or at the mall or somewhere around, everybody knows who that kid is. Yeah. If he's in Dallas, Texas, does everybody know who he is? He might be, they might because of where he's from, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it can be an advantage as, as well. We're still learning what that can be because name names and likeness is not going anywhere. It's here to stay. Yeah. But we're all still learning about it and whether or not it's, you know, six figure deals or it's um, taco. Was it taco lucha? I mean, there's something out there for everybody. And, you know, you just got to be able to take advantage of whatever you can in whatever environment you're in. Once again, it's adaptability, isn't it? Yep. All right. A couple of questions about things that I know are uh, really important to you. Why is defeating Kansas? so important to your program. You play 12 games a year, but it seems like there's more, I don't know, maybe it, maybe you're just playing to guys like me, the members of the media who are looking for a, an angle. Is the Kansas game the most important game of the year? And if so, why is it? No, it's not. And that's the first thing I'm going to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the reason I say this is I learned this from uh, a guy by the name of Gus Bradley. Gus is a long time NFL coach. And, uh, defensive coordinator now, I think with Indianapolis, but Gus is a North Dakota state grad. And, uh, I called him cause he's, he is North Dakota state. He's this guy. I got so much respect for, um, we were going to play UND for the first time in a long time. And he had played UND for decades. And, and, uh, I said to him, Gus, what do you want me to, what, what do I need to do? This is UND. You, you played here. What's, what's the deal? And he's like, coach, if you make that thing, the super bowl, what are you going to do the other 11 weeks of the year? What are you going to do? If you put all your eggs in that basket, what are you going to do when you play South Dakota State? What are you going to do when you play Northern Iowa? And it's the biggest game of the year the week we play. It's the biggest game of the year. But the biggest game of the year to start next year is going to be South Dakota. And I really believe in that. Now, from a recruiting standpoint, it's really important that we have success against KU in the state of Kansas, but that doesn't, you know, take all of my attention away all season long or all off season to say, how do we find a way to beat KU? I just don't believe in that. Uh, it's the biggest game during that week. Uh, but, uh, uh, be careful about how you can get the guys up for the following game. Yeah. And, uh, um, we've been fortunate in, in three years that we've had success 
Um, but they've got a good staff and they're going to keep building and, and they did some really good things at the end of the season. So um, it's going to be a battle every year. Were you, I was in Manhattan. I think you guys played either early at either the 11 o'clock game or uh, early afternoon game or something. And I was staying with some friends. Were you rooting for Kansas against Texas? Absolutely. Why? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I like Lance Leipold. Yeah. He's a good man. And Lance cut his teeth where I cut my teeth. You know, we were at Division Three, And then I went to FCS and, and he went to, to Buffalo. But we didn't start out um, with everything. We had to work for everything. And so I was happy for, for Lance. Plus, I know that they'd struggled in a lot of games. To put it together was big for him. And, and I think – this is just my opinion, but I think if KU is good, that helps K-State. Yeah, I, I don't think about it like that um, because I get so many other things on my mind, <laughs> so I don't really pay attention. Yeah. Um, I see how they do on Saturday night as opposed to watching or anything, how they do uh, during during the course of a game unless we're done or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think – when, when rivalries are competitive and, and healthy, they're, they're really good. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, your new offensive coordinator. I'm actually going to have Colin on the, uh, on the podcast soon. What did you see in him that led you to, to name him the offensive coordinator? Um, leadership. Um, what K-State means to him. He bleeds purple. Yeah. Uh, and um, when when I made the difficult decision to, to move on and go in another direction, um, probably was as hard on him because of his relationship with the coaches that, that are no longer with us to say, Colin, you're going to run the show as the interim offensive coordinator because I want to see what you can do. Because I knew the other coaches really well that I brought in here. Mm -hmm. And Colin was a holdover from right. Bill's staff. And so I'd been around Colin and been around him for a couple of years but hadn't seen him out in front of a group. And he knew that too. And he said, coach, I'm going to prove to you that, that I'm going to be the best option for you to have the job. And the other thing is I made sure to let him know that this isn't going to be determined by us winning 42 to 20 or losing 42 to 20. Yeah. Or if we gain 480 yards or 380 yards, I want to see you through a body of work of a month of you leading our guys and um, our guys have so much respect for, for Colin Klein, you know, from what all he's done um, for our quarterbacks here to all he's done for Kansas state football to the legacy he laid on the field out here. And yeah. so I, I just, it was so impressive to watch him, especially the last week when it really got to uh, the nit nitty gritty of, finalizing the game plan and every day preparing those guys for practices in Houston. And then ultimately the Monday night and Tuesday preparation for the game. I could see the kids look, the look in the kids' eyes. I was hiring Colin um, before the game on Tuesday, just watching the way uh, he went about his business and watching how locked in our guys were. So it, you know, there's a lot of speculation that the Texas bowl would be his audition that may be true, but it wasn't the result of the, the 60 minutes on the field against LSU. It was the preparation leading up to that. Bingo. 
that was all the preparation. I wanted to see how he led the offensive coaches. I wanted to see how he led the practice. I wanted to see how he led the unit meetings. And then the biggest thing was how he got them all together for the last 48, 72 hours. Um, and I, I knew we would play really well. Uh, and not knowing what LSU was, because there was a lot of unknown about LSU. Right, I just right. knew our guys were going to lay it on the line because of what we had done over that that period of time, that body of work. All right, let's have some fun to wrap this up. Obviously, I'm wearing my throwback lavender dress shirt today for our interview in honor of K-State. Uh, and I went to grad school there, so there is a, a natural tenant. It's not like I had to go find one. Um, so is there any chance that in the coming years we might see throwback lavender football jerseys uh, on K-State players? I would love to. I don't know if it's lavender. That'd be cool. Um, and maybe it is lavender. I would love to say, boy, we're going to have something in 2022, whether it's different jersey, pants, helmet, or 2023. I have a unique perspective on all this. I won't say what company he works for, but my brother is a sales manager for one of the biggest ones out there. Okay. And I talk to him an awful lot, and you cannot get product right now yeah. at all. At all. And so for me to say, we're going to have this in 2022, <laughs> he may call me and say, Chris, you're nuts. Because there's no way in heck they're going to have that stuff ready because people are struggling to get their teams outfitted. Yeah. But all that being said, I know that Gene, myself, and Al Serby are trying. We've, we've been canceled to go to Nike for two straight years because of the pandemic to at least look at some things. I'm hoping this spring we can get out to Nike to at least look at some options because we missed in 2021 because we got canceled because of COVID. And obviously in 2020, we missed. So um, yes, we, it's something that we're looking at. We just got to get with Nike and we haven't had the opportunity. So to quote one of the great movie lines of all time. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yes. We're saying there's a chance. All right. Um, I always like to wrap up with these two things. First of all, talk about your family. You've mentioned your son and your daughter. Talk about your family and the impact they've had in your life. Well, my wife's been with me since I was a graduate assistant at, at Northern Iowa, and then I took my first job uh, at Western Illinois as the full-time secondary coach at $15,000 a year, and I didn't know what I was going to do with all the money I had. And she, was, she was waiting tables, and, and so she's been with me the whole time, and she's my rock. Um, my oldest son is a graduate assistant up here coaching our linebackers, and so it's awesome. I get to see him every day. Yeah. My middle daughter is a sophomore up here uh, at K-State in business, and she's a student secretary. So I'm spoiled. I get to see her all the time. And then my youngest boy said, I'm not going to K-State. I want to get away from you guys. And he, he is a mid-year enrollee at Kansas Wesleyan, and he's going to play football for the Coyotes there. And I'm excited as heck because uh, yeah, he took he just said, I love football. And that's what I mean by Football's for everyone. It doesn't matter what level you play. He's at NAI, Kansas Wesleyan, and to him, that's Alabama, and I love it. And so they're a big part of everything we do. All right, last question. I like to wrap it up, and I have people answer the question professionally, personally, all different ways. You can interpret the question however you want and answer it however you want. What is your legacy? Oh, boy. Um, Man, I, I hope when I have, when I'm done with this business and profession, that the kids that I have coached, and there's a lot of them 
that are now, unfortunately, I'm looking at their kids that, that, that are recruiting and stuff that they say, man, coach, you had an unbelievable impact on me. Um, and hopefully that's positive. And I, I, I want to feel it is, but I've also had some people that I've had to maybe let go of, a, of from a football team um, for whatever reason that have contacted me to say, coach, uh, I, I was, I was wrong. I was, I was being an immature young kid. You were right to remove me from that team. And those are the hardest decisions I ever have to make. Uh, but I hope I, I can say that I had an impact on guys. All right. Great way to wrap it up, coach. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. It's good to do it one-on-one where I don't have to wait for Fitz to interrupt or anything <laughs> like that. It, it's really good to catch up with you and I appreciate your time. Thanks. Appreciate doing this. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.